Um, I want to start off my sermon. We're in uh, the final kind of stretch of um, Jesus' time teaching his disciples. This is called the, the final, Jesus' uh, final discourse. Uh, it's in John, I think it's from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 16. And this is the last bit of what Jesus says to his disciples. The next chapter after this, chapter 17, is called the high priestly prayer. Is what Jesus prays for his people. He prays for um, not just his disciples, but he prays for us. Um, all of the people that will come to know him and share in his uh, goodness and in his, in his gospels. He prays for us in chapter 17, and I'm going to devote um, a, a few sermons to that. But um, today we're in this final stretch of Jesus. He's, he's teaching his disciples. And uh, I don't know if you guys have heard me tell this story before, but uh, I used to live in Seoul. And when I was living in Seoul, I used to have to ride the green bus, the, I mean, the green um, subway, uh, early in the morning at 8 a.m. Uh, between 7.30 and 8 a.m. I'd have to get on, the sur- uh, on this. You guys probably heard this story from me before, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I would have to get on the subway and uh, I got out on at Sadang. I don't know if you guys know, but Sadang is like central Seoul, central to Seoul. It's like a very like, it's like where the two lines meet. It's very hectic. I would get on and then I would go towards Gangnam. And I don't know if you guys know where Gangnam is, but it is like super crowded between Kyode and Gangnam. And um, at, like those, like there's four or five stops that it's just people start to pack on. And I would get on in the morning in Sadang, which isn't that crowded, but I would head towards Gangnam. And I would get to this one stop, and it would just be a sea of people that come into the to the bus, and they are all getting to work early in the morning, and they would all crowd in there, shove there would shove, and and then we would all just be packed in there like sardines, um, at least for the next four or five stops. It would just be crazy. And I remember one time it was in the in the in the winter time, it was cold, and, and I was wearing like you know like a, a kind of a thick sweater, and I, we were in the bus, and, and we were in the subway. And I remember there was this tiny harmony. She had to have been like this big, really small. Um, and she was old. She's probably in her like 70s. And she stuck in the subway with me. But she got crammed into the subway and her face landed right here. Like right between my armpit and my chest. And her face was just stuck right here. And I couldn't do anything about it. She was just like, just breathing like, oh, no. <sighs> just stuck here. But when I looked down at her, she was looking up at me, and she just had this look of calm. Um, and, and she was just, she knew that this was her situation in life. And she was just stuck in my chest for the next five stops. It took about maybe like 17 or 15 minutes. But we were in this, and nobody was just packed, and there's nothing that she can do. Her face was just right here. But she just endured. She endured, and then finally, it was at one of the stops, I think there's a stop after Gangnam, where everybody gets off, and then we all just like, it took us a while to like, break away from each other, but we all kind of broke away, and then we all got off the subway, and then she got off, and, and then she was free, but she was able to endure this time um, with just pure, uh, just determination in her face. She wasn't freaked out, uh, she was, because she had this expectation, she had a hope. She, she knew that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And then that's kind of what I want to talk about today is hope and joy. And we have to understand that hope and joy, they're really linked to each other. And it's a commodity that is essential for us to live. We have, you know, we have cases 
of people that lose all hope and joy. And when somebody loses all hope, they don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we see the statistics that, that shock the world every year about people taking their own life. Um, the World Health Organization claims that close to 800,000 people around the world commit suicide every year. That comes out to one person every four seconds, or every 40 seconds. And so in the, in the brief time that I've been sharing um, that little story, which is probably about two minutes, about you know, like three or four people um, took their own life somewhere in this world. We need hope and we need joy in our life. And here in John 16, Jesus has been giving the disciples some bad news. You know, you guys have all heard it. There's good news and the bad news, right? Like, which one do you want first? Well, Jesus is giving them the bad news, right? He's just told them, last week we talked about it, that the world will hate them, right? The world will hate them. Because you, you know me, because, you know, because they hate me, they're going to hate you as well. And the, he tells them that they will suffer, that they will face persecution. And not only that, Jesus has been telling them that, and he tells them again here, that he will be killed. Jesus was their hope. Right? These disciples were not the best of the best of society. Right? They were fishermen, they were tax collectors. Back then, um, if, you were a, if you were a man... Right and and you were like a, you were bright you were hopeful you know you were like you know you had something going for you rabbis would come around and they would choose you to be their pupil to study under them and the ones that were not chosen by a rabbi or like a respected teacher um, that were not so bright that were not so wealthy or affluent would go on to work the jobs that their fathers did. So if their father was a fisherman, they'll become a fisherman. If their father was like a carpenter, they'll become a carpenter. That's why Jesus was a carpenter, because Joseph, his earthly father, was a carpenter. And and so the 11 people, because Judas stepped out, the 11 disciples that are gathered before Jesus were not chosen by the by these rabbis. They were not, you know, if, if you can, in today's time, they would be like the, the, the students that don't get into college, right? You know, and for most Asian families, it's probably impossible to think like, oh, everybody gets into college. But there, I know, I've known people in my high school. There was a good number of students that they didn't get into any colleges. They sent out the letters and they got nothing back, right? So it was like that kind of a situation for these disciples. They weren't chosen by a, a rabbi to teach them until Jesus came along. Jesus came along and Jesus chooses them, Right, and this was incredible for them. Imagine you're you're a fisherman, you're fishing, right? You're doing this dirty. It wasn't like a res- it wasn't like a very like you know respectable job to have. You're touching fish all day. I don't know if you know, but fish smell, right? And and I know, no matter how much you think that fish smell good, they don't, right? I remember I used to go fishing in the in the morning with my dad. We would go out on these boats. We'd pay money to like get a spot on this boat to fish, and sometimes we would like catch a lot of fish and my dad would bring it home and our car would smell like fish and we would come home and my dad would want me to because all of the, the the rest you know like the white people that would be on the boat with us they would pay the workers at the end as you're driving back to shore they pay them they tip them like ten dollars and they would fillet all their fish for them and they throw all the guts out into the ocean and all these seagulls come and they start to eat them they follow you around my dad was cheap right my dad didn't want to pay these guys $10 to fillet the fish. He would bring it all home, and he would have us do it, right? He would say, give us a knife, tell us to gut the fish, and I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this, this sucks, right? And he would have this big bowl of fish guts, right? 
and then he would plant, he would use it as fertilizer. He would dig a hole. He would have me dig a hole next to his, uh, his trees, and he would have me bury it, and then we would have these amazing fruit, right? Fish, then that smell good, right? And so being a fisherman wasn't like the best thing, right? And imagine Peter and, and, and these guys, are, they're fishing, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and is like, I want you to follow me. I want you to you drop everything that you're doing, follow me, right? And, if, and I will make you fishers and men. And this was amazing for them. It changed their life. And they, and they realized soon that after Jesus calls them, that, like, that this was, He was the real deal. That Jesus was like the Messiah. He would do these amazing things and He would teach in a way that no other rabbi was able to do. And they witnessed Jesus' miracles. Soon realized that He was what he, who He said He was. He was the Messiah that they're waiting for. See, back then, Jews were expecting like a political Messiah. Messiah, they thought another King David would come. Another King David would, would, be, would come and he would, he would drive out the Romans. Romans have been ruling over them for, for many years. And so they would drive out the Romans. They would, he would establish the nation of Israel as a political nation and a political kingdom. And, and he would bring his rule, his political rule upon this earth. It would bring wealth and prosperity back into Israel. And then and the nation of Israel would be able to rise again. This was what almost all the Jews that, that were waiting for a Messiah, that's what they expected out of the Messiah. Right? This is what, what, what they were expecting. And so when Jesus goes and feeds thousands of people using a few fish and some loaves of bread, right? they, just, they were like, oh my goodness, this is the, He is the real deal. He's going to come and He's going to establish the kingdom of Israel back back again and, and and we get to be like the the, the 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 friend of the king right everybody wants to be the friend of the king and they and they were going to be the, uh, the, the king's chosen disciples and and they're going to have political roles in the kingdom of God remember John and James their mom comes to Jesus and is like which like can you have my sons sit at your right hand and your left hand when 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 you become the king of Israel again right this is what the people were expecting. And, and, and they, they, they thought that he was going to become this political king and raise and establish the kingdom of Israel. But then Jesus gives them some bad news. This is, that was their expectation. That was their, their light at the end of the tunnel. It was like, oh, we're, we're going to become somebody after this. And Jesus tells them, People will hate you because of me. Not only that, they will revile you. They will persecute you. You will suffer. And before that, they're going to kill me. And I'm not going to be with you any longer. This is a bad news. The disciples were depressed. The hope that they had been walking with for the last three years and some and three and a half years is telling you that they're going to kill him. The Messiah that they believed was going to be the ruler of Israel that was going to drive out the Romans and, and, and they were going to become the friend of the king, right? This, this, this Messiah, he tells them that they're going to kill him. They're going to, they're going to hang him on a cross. And this news that the disciples hear from Jesus, they lose hope, they lose joy. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew how they were feeling. You know that Jesus knows your pain. He knows the things that bring you down. He knows the things that you're going through. 
He knows the things that take your joy. He knows it when you lose hope. Right? A lot of times we, we act like those melodrama, you know, Mina watches some of those dramas and those romantic comedies, or those teenage with the angst, like, oh, nobody understands what I'm going through, right? Like, oh, nobody understands. Well, Jesus, He understands. He does. He knows. Not only does He understand, but He knows exactly what you need to get you out of that situation, to get you out of that depression, to get you out of that funk. And here, Jesus gives the disciples exactly what they need to break them out of this, this sorrow and this, and this depression that they're in. And we're going to start today, we're going to start reading from verse 16 of chapter 16. If Amali, uh, we, we got, yes, we have it now. So we, if you want to look up at the board, you can. I'll read it, I'll read it to you guys. It says, a little while, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A little while you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourself? What I meant by saying a little while and you will see me, you will not see me, and again, a little while, you will, you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you ask nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so, let's unpack this a little bit. First, we have to understand something that's very critical about the way that God brings joy and hope into our lives. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus, God, doesn't bring joy as a substitution, but as a transformation. The key in understanding the way that God deals with us regarding joy and hope is that He doesn't substitute, He transforms. How does the world deal with lack or joy, lack of joy and hope? How, do they, how does the world, and how does everybody in this world react to a lack of joy, a lack of hope? They do substitution. They feel down, they go buy something. They feel unsatisfied, they go out and they do something to satisfy themselves. Go take a vacation. Go buy that sports car that makes you feel young, right? Go smoke that weed or go get that anti-depression prescription from the doctor. Right? You know, this is a huge issue in America. Even the government is like, wow, these people cannot cope. And so they're legalizing marijuana all throughout America. The world was filled with advertisements on how to substitute your lack of joy, your lack of hope with something. You're feeling depressed, you take this. 
feeling sad, you go and buy this. Feeling unfulfilled, you fill your life with this, and it will replace your bad feelings with good feelings. It will replace the bad with the good. That's how the world sees the, the problem of joy and lack of joy in their life. They substitute. It will substitute the bad. It will substitute the, the, the unpleasant with better things, good things. And you know who, who thinks this way? Children thinks this way. Right? As a parent, we use, this as, we use this understanding to get them to stop crying and stop whining. Right? Last night or yesterday, Ezra had a splinter in his hand. And if you, if you have Nina's Instagram, you, you might have seen the video of him hiding under the bed crying. Right? He had a splinter in his hand and he had to take it out. You have to take out splinters or else they get infected and it gets worse. And so as soon as I, I said it's a splinter, Ezra freaked out because he's had splinters removed before. He started crying. He's like, ah, and he went in and he hid under our bed. Right? He hid under our bed and then Mina has this video and then Mina's like, come on, you got to take it out. It's a splinter. And he goes, ah, he starts crying. And he started crying and in order for us to remove this, this tiny splinter, it took two adults, Mina and myself, and, and Mina and Ed, Ethan, right, to hold him down. Right? And he was crying bloody murder. And what we did was we tried to re- replace, substitute the pain with something. We said, we'll give you ice cream. And he was like, ah! And like, well, and I, I took out the phone and I put it on YouTube. And usually that works, right? But it didn't work this time. We offered them ice cream. We offered them YouTube. Usually that works, but it didn't work. We're trying to replace the pain. We're trying to replace the fear with something else that will make him feel happy. But you know, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't substitute. He transforms. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, I don't claim to understand <clears throat> how painful giving birth is, right? Because right, I'm a man. And, and one time, I got this ingrown toenail. I don't know if you guys know what an ingrown toenail is, but it's super painful. And I had to go to the doctor. I went to the dermatologist. And he's like, oh, we have to do like a minor surgery on this. And then he took me to the little, op- like it's like a tiny little like a little clinic, like operating chair, laid me back, and then he, he grabbed my toe, and then Mina was next to me, and then he like poked it with this thing, and I was like, I, I remember feeling like, ah! And I grabbed Mina's hand, and she was like, oh! And I, I squeezed it, and I was like, oh! It was so painful, because it was like infected. And he go, and he had to drain it, and he had to cut a piece of my toenail off. And I remember like feeling like it was so painful, and I told Mina afterwards, I was like, my love. I think this is what giving birth is like. And she looked at me and said, you are an idiot. Right? So I don't claim to know what it's like to give, give birth, right? But Jesus, He uses this metaphor of a woman giving birth to get His point across. And His point is this, the same baby that brought that anguish and the pain is the same baby that gives this woman joy. And helps her to not remember the pain. God doesn't substitute our pain and suffering with things and circumstances that will replace it. But He transforms us so the same thing that brings us pain becomes the thing that brings us joy. He didn't say the pain and sorrow will be replaced by joy. 
What did he say? He said, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That's transformation. They had no epidurals back then. There was nothing that would numb the pain of childbirth. And Jesus is saying, it's not about numbing the pain or replacing the sorrow or the joy, but the Christian life is about God taking difficult and painful and sorrowful and hopeless situation and He adds the miracle of His grace and transforms trial into triumph and transforms sorrow into joy. That's what Jesus wants to do. He's not, he doesn't want to replace the pain. He doesn't want to replace the sorrow with something that's going to make us feel happy. He's going to transform that into something that will bring us joy. Does that mean that the trials are, are not going to be there? No. The trials will be there. Does that mean that, that we will not experience sorrow? No. The, 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 the sorrow will be there. But Jesus is saying that in the midst of pain and suffering, we can experience joy and hope. Right? This is how Jesus, this is how God works. Right? Joseph, what happens to Joseph? Joseph gets beaten up by his brothers, put into a pit and sold off into slavery. And when he looked up, when Joseph looked up and God, what did, what did God do? Did he, did he take away the pain? Did he take away the sorrow? No. He, he, he became a slave and he went to Potiphar's house and as Potiphar's wife comes on to him and he, he flees and then she lies and he gets put into prison. And in prison, he's, he, 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 he becomes the best prisoner. And then he, he get, finds favor in the warden. And then, and then these, the, the, the baker and the cupbearer, they come and he interprets their dream. And then and he interprets them right. And then he's like, remember me. But they forget. But what happens? God doesn't replace the sorrow. God doesn't replace the pain. He turns it into joy. He transforms it into joy. And what happens to Joseph? He interprets the, 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 the king's dreams. And then he becomes the prime minister of a country, of the, of the nation. And then through him, his people are saved. Right? His brothers come and they're like they fall at his feet. And and he's like, What what you know what was what was meant to destroy us, right? God used it to bless us. The world sees it as either or. You can either have joy or you can have sorrow, but you can't experience them at the same time. That's why they're the antidepressant. Uh, the, the antidepressant like business and the industry is huge. You know, in America, like I heard that like one out of five kids are on some kind of antidepressant. Right? One out of five people are on some kind of antidepressant. This is because they believe that you can't experience sorrow and joy at the same time. So what they're going to do is they're going to numb your mind, right, and try to take out whatever sorrow or pain that you're feeling and to make you feel good. That's why alcohol exists. That's why weed exists, right? That's why, like, you know, like shopping and, and, and addiction to, like, you know, because, uh, you know, if, if they feel pain and they want to replace it with something, they want to substitute it with something. And so they have Amazon. If I buy this, if I click this and I get it, it makes me feel good, right? I'm going to replace this pain with, the, with, with, with joy of purchasing and the joy of, of numbing myself. Because the world thinks it as either or. You can't have both. But Jesus, God says, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your sorrow, you can have joy and you can have 
hope. The same baby that brings the pain is the same baby that brings us joy. In Christ Jesus, death has no power over us because in our death, we have life in Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So many times we pray that God will remove the pain and replace it with something better. Remove the struggle and change my circumstances. You don't know how many times I pray that. Right? My circumstances get get bad and I'm like, God, change it! Change it! Right? We've all done it. But God is not about substitution. He's about transformation. He wants to transform you so that in the midst of the struggle, the trial, the pain, and the persecution, you can have a joy, you can have a hope that can help you overcome. Revelations 12, 11, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Mina always tells me that I, I spoil my kids. I do. I have to be better about that. But God is not about spoiling us. But He's all about strengthening us. Even the joy and the hope that He brings into our lives, right? It's not, so, it's not just there so that we're going to enjoy it. It's there for a purpose. It's not there to replace our pain or substitute for our sorrow, but it's a catalyst to transform us in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the sorrow. He wants us to be stronger. We want our kids to be happy, but we also want them to learn and have character and be strong, right? We want our kids to be strong and to endure. Because God is about purpose. And we're going to talk more about this later in the sermon, but God is about purpose. There's a purpose to the re- things and the reasons that God does things and, and establishes things in our life. Because if, only, if God only wanted to save us, He could have just plucked us out of earth and bring us into heaven as soon as, as, soon as we put our faith in it. Right? That would freak us out. Maybe Josh would be like, oh, I believe in... I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's gone, right? Everybody be like, what happened to Josh? Right? What happened to Josh? And some people will say, oh, he's dead. And some people will say, oh, he went to heaven, right? And some people will be like, oh, you know, like, I, you know, like, he, he went to, whatever it is, right? There will be a lot of questions, but, but if that was, the main purpose for God was to just save us, that's what would happen, right? God, He's a practical God. He's like, okay, my purpose is to save them. You know, like, they put their faith in me. I'm going to pluck them out, and I'm going to bring them to heaven, and they're going to enjoy the me in the fullest. But that's not what God is about. God is about purpose. There's a purpose, right? There's a purpose to why, after God saved us, we continue to exist on this earth. Why God saves us, and we still have to continue to live our lives here. Because there's a purpose to our salvation. We have a calling. We have a mandate. There's a reason why we're here. And so God doesn't substitute. He transforms. He doesn't substitute right, or the difficulties. He transforms us so that now we live our lives differently. We live our lives from a place of faith. We live our lives from a place of hope. So when bad things happen, we're like, oh, we have God. We have Jesus. It doesn't affect me so hard. It doesn't hurt me so much. Because we have a Savior that is with us. Because he's, he, there's a purpose to why Jesus 
does things. So let's unpack this a little bit more. What is this? What is it that will help the disciples to endure? What is it that in the midst of the sorrow, and they're going to go through some sorrow, and they're going to go through some pain, what does Jesus say is going to be the light at their end of the tunnel? Right? What is it that they're going to be able to keep their, their focus on so that all they're going through and they're enduring through all of these things that they're going to be able to, to, to hold on to that, to that vision of what it is and it's going to get them through it. What is it? Right? We've all been through times like that. I just went through this time, like seven months, I think it was seven or eight months straight of me just like classes and work and ministry and, and, and coronavirus. And it was just tough, right? Like it, 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 it was pretty intense. And I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I was able to, to endure it all. And I finished this week, at least for the next three weeks. I, I don't have any classes, right? Yeah. Hey, I got, I got A's in both of my classes. That's a, that's, I'm not trying to brag, but that is a... I'm really not. I'm not trying to brag, but that is a testimony that God is real, that Jesus is real. Because I have a 45-year-old mind, right? That's done a ton of drugs in his life, right? And then I, I'm still be able I'm able to like focus and be able to do this. It's a testament that Jesus is real, right? Jesus lives. And so, so what is it that they're going to look at? You know, what is it, what what's going to get them? And what what are they going to? What light are they going to see at the end of that tunnel? Right? And so we see it in verse 22. It says, "So also you have sorrow now." But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And what Jesus is offering for them at the end of the tunnel is that they will see Jesus again. And here, here's the thing, guys. We will see Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples that you will see me again. And everything that you thought that was true about me, you will know it as true. Imagine all of the questions that I have. Every time they thought like, hey, dude, is, is this guy for real? Right? Remember like, and I'm sure they had those questions where they, he would do something weird and be like, is it, do you think he really is the, he is the Messiah? They will see Jesus. And all of the questions, all of the doubts that they had, had would be silenced and they will know him as truth. And everything that was sorrow will be turned into joy. They'll be like, Wow, He really is the Son of God. He really is here to save us. Everything that He said, everything that He's claimed is true. And, and the disciples had that moment. When, when Jesus came back and they saw the resurrected Jesus, everything, every question, every doubt, everything that they questioned about Him would be revealed to them as true. And so, so they have that moment. Right? A little while, they suffer, they sorrow, but then what? They, they see the resurrected Jesus and they go on to do amazing things, amazing lives. We know what happens to these disciples, right? These fishermen, these tax collectors. Right? To the world, they weren't much. But they literally flipped the world upside down. And even till now, till this day, the remnants of what they did through the power of the Holy Spirit exists on this earth. It's like this ripple that they created. I don't know if you guys ever thrown like something into a pond or into a pool that's like really pristine and it's like glass and you throw something and it goes like all the waves keep going and keep going and they come back, right? Well, they did something in this world, in their life that what, that what they did still echoes and perpetuates and still goes on even to this day. It's affected each and every one of our lives. 
that they go on to live in this way. How? It's, it's, the, it's the proof, it's the resurrected Jesus Christ. They experienced the resurrected Jesus and they saw Him. It's because they saw the resurrected Him standing before them. Well, what about us? Right? We, we, we don't get to see the resurrected Jesus. What about us? Well, Jesus talks about us when He reveals Himself to the disciples after the resurrection. You know that Jesus talked about us? Right? John chapter 20, verse 25. I want you guys to turn there and I'll read it to you guys. John chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus talks about it. It says, So the other disciples told Him, We have seen the Lord. This is, this is what blew their mind, right? We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, this is Thomas, right? Unless I see it in his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my fingers in the marks of, his, uh, the, uh, of, of the nails, and place my hand inside his, into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. This is where Thomas, everything was just like in his mind. It's like, wow, this is the Son of God, right? He, he touched it and he's still alive. I saw him die. He rose again from the dead. And then he's like, everything in his mind clicked for him. He's like, poof. It's like, it's a reality to him, right? My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, this is what he talks about us. Have you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As us. When we were saved, we believed, although we did not see him. This is faith. This is what it talks about in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for and convictions of things not seen. And in our faith, we experience a relationship with, with Jesus. And although we may not be able to, to touch His nail-pierced hands and His feet and, and stick our, our hands on His side where He was stabbed, He is real. He is more real to us than anything or anyone. That's the power of faith. I know that Barack Obama exists. I know that Donald Trump exists. I know that Joe Biden exists. I haven't met them, but he's out there, right? And to, to me, they're real. But you know what? In my heart, Jesus is, is more real to me than they will ever be. That is the power of, of faith. And in our faith, we live with the transformation power to turn any pain, any sorrow, any trial or suffering into joy and hope. Because we will see Him again. Colossians 1.27 Then to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, hope of glory. We have Christ in us. And we have this hope of glory that we know that we will see Jesus again. And that is what helps us to endure and persevere and push through the lives that we live, the sorrow and the pain that we go through. We know that ultimately... We have a joy that the world cannot take. He's coming back. And everything that he said about himself is true. He is who he says he is. He has done what he has said he has done. And we are who, we, who he says we are. That's the truth. And he says in verse 33, this is the last part of the discourse that he gives his disciples. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world... 
you will have tribulation. If not, you might have tribulation. Not like, you know, like, there, there might, you know, he said, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is victorious. He has conquered sin and death. For a true Christian, you know, and, and we experience depression, right? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't experience depression. We have our lows, right? But when we are Christian I and mean, we remain in that low for a long season, it's not because of our circumstances. It's about the revela- revelation of the resurrected Jesus. Are we dwelling on Him? Are we thinking? Are we meditating? Are we in His presence? I know that when I've gone through seasons of depression, I wasn't. I remember I had a lot of questions for God. It wasn't more so much questions. It was me blaming God. I was like, God, why you do this? God, why did it turn out this way? God, why? I have all these things, but then I wasn't, I wasn't like, I wasn't in that place of like, Jesus, you're real. You're real, more real to me than, than anyone in my life. I can, I can sense your presence. I, I, I wasn't in that place. So, so we have seasons of depression. But for a true Christian, I'm talking about true believers here. When we're in that state, it's not because of our circumstances, not because things are going right, it's because we do not have our hearts and our mind focused on the King of Kings. He is the risen King that has overcome the world. Because that revelation can transform pain into joy, sorrow into gladness. That is how we, have a, we can have home Right, we can we can we can have hope and and we can endure, right, and know that God He's coming back even in the face of death. That's the power of of the resurrected Jesus in our lives. Now, Jesus He closes this last discourse to His disciples with this. He says, "So also, verse twenty-two. So also you have sorrow now." But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus tells us that our joy will be made full, and He's talking about a life of prayer. Prayer life that... And we talked about this before in a few sermons ago. I think it was when we were in PNU. I talked about the the the, the life, the um, praying in Jesus' name. Right? He says, "If you pray anything in my name, all right, Jesus' name, what is that? What 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 is he talking about? He's talking about praying a, a prayer life that that desires like like not our desire, not our will, but for God's will to be done." And he says that the will of God, right? The purpose of praying in Jesus' name is so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. As John chapter 14. And so that the Father will be glorified. So, so if you have a prayer life that is not about yourself and what you can get or what you can, can get out of this and, and God do this for me and, and it's like a, a, you know, like you, Amazon, trying to pick out everything that you want from God. But instead you're like, God, what, what you desire on this earth, I want it to be done. And if your prayer life is like that, if you're trying to bring the glory of the of the Father of Heaven and through the Son of Son of the Father, if that's your desire through your prayer life, right? He says He's going to answer your prayers, and that's going to make your life full. It's going to make your joy full. You're going to experience the fullness of joy. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
This is where we find purpose. So where we pray and we have a prayer life and we seek. Our lives become a prayer where we want to see the, the kingdom come and His will be done. You know, disciples, I talked about it, that they lived extraordinary lives. They, they lived like, like, like we, that lives that would, should be written about and made movies about. Right? They make movies about these soldiers that like, you know, I saw this movie called 1917. It's a pretty good movie. It's about these two soldiers that tried to take a message to like this general, right? They made a whole movie about it. Well, these guys lived amazing lives and they all were martyred, right? For the gospel. They lived amazing lives and they had extraordinary deaths. And in their purpose, they were able to find the fullness of joy to endure. He's, Jesus is telling us a key to finding joy and hope in Him. It's for us to live a life of purpose where our lives are a prayer, asking God to bring what He wants and what He wills upon the earth. And He tells us that He will give it to us. And there is no fuller life than a life living with the purpose of the risen King of the universe. And you think a job working for the president will give you purpose? Well, it might for a little while. At least four years in America. I think six years in Korea. Maybe for a little while, being a lawyer, maybe you find purpose of being a doctor, yes? Especially now, you know? You, you might be able to find that purpose, but all of that will go away. All of that will pass away. Everything on this earth will amount to nothing except the will and the purpose of God. In His purpose, we find fullness of joy. Let us live life where we don't substitute our pain and sorrow for created things that will pass away, but let us allow the eternal truth of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross that gives us true purpose, that can turn pain into joy, sorrow into hope, as we live lives of purpose for the kingdom of God, for God's will. I don't know, there's there's people out there and this is what amazes there's people that are at the top of their profession found recognition they, they found money right? they, they've gotten paid they've gotten the fame and, and at the end of everything they, they were like I have nothing to live for and, and they commit suicide this happens in Korea quite a bit there's people that that are you know they're like famous the world sees them as idols you know Robin Williams Ron Williams, one of the most beloved comedians, actors in history. Made ton of movies. Made ton of money. Got all the recognition that he can possibly get. And yet, he wasn't able to find that hope to endure yet another day. And he killed himself. We have to understand the purposes of this earth ultimately will amount to nothing. Do you guys realize that? Unless it's an eternal purpose, whatever purpose that you're living for amounts to nothing. Some of you guys think like, oh, it, marriage, if I get married, you know that you're married, ultimately, no matter how lovely and, and, and great your marriage is, it all ends when you die. You don't, you're, you're not married in heaven. You're married to the bride. You're, you're, you're a bride of Christ. You're, you're going to be homies. I know me and Mina are going to be homies when we're in heaven. 
I'm like, hey, what up? Good life, right? But, but you know, all everything that that is on this earth, right? There is there is no purpose beyond eternity. But Jesus offers us something. He offers us a purpose. He offers us this life where we are able to find the ultimate prize. And and that prize that we find is so great and is so amazing that everything else is meaningless. I want to close with this last thought. A woman endures the pain of labor and birth because of the baby that she will hold afterwards. I'm sure... You know, Shine. Shine is crazy. She had a home birth with no drugs, right? If I was giving birth, and I, I'll say it now, I would like I would like all the drugs, every drug now, right? But but she she endures the 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 pain of labor, the pain of giving birth, so that. But ultimately, she's she holds a little baby. She. You know, they were holding little Lincoln in their hands. But Jesus endured the cross. The pain and the torture of the cross and being separated from the Father and having the sins of the world upon His shoulders. You know that? that, that that's the ultimate, like, you know, the, the ultimate pain that He experienced. It wasn't so much the nails, right? Because a lot of prisoners experienced that, right? Now, a lot of them died that way, right? But Jesus experienced being separated from the Father. It's it's torturous for Him. And He took upon the pain and the punishment of the the sins of the world upon His shoulder. And He endured that. And the Bible says He he endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Hebrews 12.2 Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross because he knew that after the pain, after the sorrow, after the agony, it will all be turned into joy. Transformation. How will turn your sorrow into joy. He knew that even after the crucifixion, and after the death, everything will be turned into joy. And for Jesus, that joy is you and me. The Bible says that He knows each and every one of you by name. He knows each and every one of us by name. He knew us even before the foundation of the earth. He brings us into a relationship where we are His joy and He becomes our joy. Jesus is hanging on that cross. He's he's enduring the punishment of the cross. He's enduring the punishment of death. Death, every death that, 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 you know, that He's dying for. He's experiencing the pain and at the end, he's like, this is all for the joy that was set before me. And then he brings us into this relationship where, where his joy is us and our joy is his. And if we love God the way that he tells us to love God, but how does God tell us to love him? Like fourth on the list? Wife, kids... You know, like career, Netflix, and then Jesus. No. What does he say? He says, if you love me above everything, love me above all, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, like above anything, right? If we love him that way, our joy in Christ can overcome anything that this world can throw us, throw at us.
There's, we, we've heard stories of people that endured like amazing things for the gospel and ultimately in the end they, they chose they chose their relationship with Jesus above anything else in that verse in Revelation it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the power of their testimony and they endured they endured to the end even they didn't love their lives past death right they, they chose to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel for the sake of God to love God beyond all else 